Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. This is Jesus that is speaking. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only, with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it was written of him. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his word. The transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ is such a strange and unique event in the life and ministry of our Saviour that we might be forgiven wondering why it happened and for what purpose. It really is a very unusual incident. The Lord had many parables, many sermons that he preached. He had many miracles that he performed. But this transfiguration is a singular event in the life and ministry of the Lord, where it seems the glory of his divine nature was revealed in a most astonishing way to Peter and James and John. Now, when we ask ourselves what purpose was served by this and why it took place, 
some might say that there's no need for us to inquire about such things. We simply accept that it is the Father's will that God has revealed these things and it is to show the splendour of our God. And there's merit in that statement. The Lord doesn't uh, uh, need to explain to us his judgments are unsearchable we're told his ways are past finding out the Lord doesn't need to explain to mere creatures mere mortals like us the reasoning or purposes behind the things that he does and yet the Lord Jesus himself gives thanks to his father for this very revelation that the Lord God, the Father, has revealed these things to babes. In Luke chapter 10 verse 21, our Saviour prays to God and he says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Our God does what is good in his sight, and we bow before his wisdom, so that much of the why about the ways of God in this world and the ways of our own lives are hidden from us. Thereby they call for faith. They call for us to trust in God, to trust in his word, to trust in his promises, not seeing necessarily all the evidence or all the reasoning behind these things. And yet we are also told that what is revealed is revealed for a purpose and a reason. God has chosen to hide some things from the wise and the prudent, but to reveal them unto babes. And amongst those things which are revealed must surely list the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us in, the, 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 in his word. Indeed, it is recorded in, uh, in Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke, and it is referred to in John. He has given us this amazing insight, this amazing revelation from the pens of the evangelists that we might understand something about God's ways of grace and mercy and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This supreme, unparalleled manifestation of Christ's glory and majesty, I think, is intended to teach us at least four important truths. And we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about what these might be. I think that the Lord was here showing the disciples and us with them the subjection of the law and the prophets to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think secondly that it was to reinforce the importance of Christ's death that he had newly disclosed to the disciples. I think, thirdly, that it emphasised the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and his gospel of grace and mercy. That there had never been anything in all the world like this manifestation, like this revelation, like this person and like this message. And fourthly, it provided the Lord's people with a new and glorious view of their Saviour. And we're going to touch on these points on the next few minutes. But before we do that, I just want to mention one little thing which perhaps intrigued you um, as it intrigued me. Um, Why was it just Peter, James and John? Why was it only these three disciples that got to see this um, this transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. These, these three were uh, often especially blessed of the Lord to, to share personally in the Lord's ministry and the Lord's work, to have a, a more intimate um, engagement and involvement in the Lord's ways. Um, they were present to witness the Lord's power over death in raising Jairus' daughter. They see the glory of the Lord here in this holy mountain, in this transfiguration, which the other disciples did not witness. And they also got to see the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they saw his power, they saw his majesty, and they saw his humiliation. And I think that the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ in allowing these three to enter particularly into these events was that they would be called to attest the uniqueness of Christ to the church in time. Now we remember, of course, that John, uh, John would just be a young man at this time, and John, uh, he would write, uh, as he wrote his, his gospel many years later, perhaps especially thinking of this moment, he wrote to the church and he committed to the church the following words. He said, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that which motivated John's awe and wonder at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed to him, given to him in moments such as this. So that our understanding of the wonder and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is directly passed to us from one who was an eyewitness and personal testifier of these marvellous things. And Peter, he would tell us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables 
when we made it when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and this voice says Peter which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount so John testified of the things that uh, they had seen we beheld his glory and Peter testified of the glory that was witnessed that they were eyewitnesses and they heard the voice uh, uh, speaking on the mountain and James too testified of this because James Peter James and John James was not the author of the epistle in our New Testament he was the brother of John and James too spoke most clearly perhaps most clearly of all when his blood was shed for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel which the Lord Jesus Christ preached James was so taken with those things that he had seen with this person that he had come to know and love and follow that he gave his life for the cause and became the first martyr amongst the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some testify by their words and deeds and some witness with their lives. Let me quickly draw your attention to uh, these four points that uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier. And the first one is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured before these three men, Peter, James and John, transfigured to teach the disciples and thereby to teach us the subjection of the law and the prophets to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's no uh, 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 coincidence, I'm sure. Um, it's not no mere coincidence that it is Moses and Elias or Elijah that are here present. And uh, these two, Moses and Elias, doubtless are intended to show us and to show Peter, James and John and does that the law as represented by Moses and the prophets as represented by Elias are under the supremacy and the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Our saviour is the end of the law for righteousness which means that we must never look to our works never look to our duties never look to our flesh for righteousness and for sanctification or for peace with God that peace comes from that which the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross 
not from our doing, not from our getting, not from our walk, not from our running, but from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so the law of Moses had to come under the work of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Elias, his presence shows that he whom the prophet spoke of, he whom the prophets in their entirety foretold had indeed come. And both Elias's ministry as representative of the prophets and Moses' ministry as representative of the law were now fulfilled in this person, Jesus Christ, who was both divine and human and who was gloriously transfigured before Peter, James and John. Moses and the prophets spoke of one to come, the Messiah, the anointed one who would come. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15, uh, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel and he says this, The Lord thy God is towards the end of his his, uh, his own life and he is anticipating the coming Messiah. He says this, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. He was now here. The one that Moses spoke of had now come. And these two witnesses, Moses and Elias, had come to attest the presence of the God-man here upon earth. Now there's a number of things that we could take some time to, to dwell upon. Um, like, for instance, how was it that Moses and Elias were instantly recognisable to Peter, James and John as being the men that they were? They'd never seen them. They'd never seen a picture of them. How did they know? That this was Moses and Elias. They did. I think that tells us that when we get to heaven, we will all know one another, whether we've ever met before. We will know who each other is. They knew by some kind of divine uh, insight and understanding who these men were. Why it was Moses and why it was Elias. Here's something else which is interesting to think about. And you can go back and do a little homework on this if you like. But the circumstances of the end of life experiences of both Moses and Elijah are very interesting. Moses um, was buried by God. And you'll remember uh, that uh, Michael contended for the body of Moses uh, when Satan uh, sought to have it. And then of course Elias was translated. He did not die but he was translated into heaven in a fiery chariot. Surely significant of the fact that the bodies of these two men would be required for this event upon the holy mountain when the Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured. Just a couple of loose ends for you to think upon and dwell upon at your own leisure. Here's the second point that I want to draw to your attention. That the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ is to reinforce the importance of our Saviour's death. 
This is what he had just recently been telling his disciples about. This had only just been disclosed in the clearest of terms to the disciples. And, and we know that they were struggling with this. We know that they were struggling. This is what Peter had said, Lord, this won't be. And the Lord had said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You savourest not the things that be of God. You don't understand why I'm here. Well, now there was another testimony being given to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ's death was both necessary and imminent. Mark, in truth, does not mention the topic of the subject of the conversation that transpired between uh, Moses, Elias uh, and the Lord. But Luke does. And when we read the parallel passage, we discover that they spoke of the Lord's death. Luke chapter 9 and verse 31 tells us that uh, 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 Moses and Elias appeared in glory. So they, their bodies shone too, recognisable bodies, human bodies, physical bodies, but they shone in glory also, not as gloriously as the Lord's, but they appeared in glory also. And spake, here was the things that they spoke about, of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So Moses, representing the law, Elias, representing the prophets, speak about the forthcoming imminent death of the Lord Jesus Christ. These two men, this shows us surely um, that, that the, the, the law and the prophets were not separate dispensations or, or revelations or, or breaks in, in time, but all part of a single great unfolding testimony of God's covenant purpose of grace and mercy and peace by the Lord Jesus Christ's death. Whether it was Moses with the sacrifices, whether it was the, the um, topology of the tabernacle, whether it was all of the laws that were, were, were given to the people, or the prophetic ministry of the men who were sent by God to declare the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the anointed one who would be, as Isaiah calls him, the lamb that would be led to the slaughter. Everything of those past times looked forward to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we look back, the Lord had only recently begun speaking of his death to his disciples. And they were struggling to grasp the meaning. But here Moses and Elijah come to speak of that very matter. And what a phrase that is that Luke uses. The subject matter of their conversation was his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now did ever men speak of death? in such a way? Did ever men speak of death in such a way? 
the decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, yes, they did. Moses and Elijah spoke of Christ's death in such a way. The death that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And indeed, all who understand, every elect saint, everyone who who grasps something of the blessedness of the covenant of peace, of the spiritual victories that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross, all that was won by the death of the God-man, all together with Moses and Elias, speak of nothing else. It thrills our hearts to consider the things that Christ accomplished at Jerusalem by his decease. Paul could say, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2, I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if any of us ever have any aspirations to be a preacher, then this is the message that we are called upon to preach. And if any of us in the rest of our days uh, find ourselves under a ministry that doesn't preach Christ crucified as the central focus of our attention, then we need to get ourselves another minister. Here's the third thing that the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ taught the disciples that day and does by them. The preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel of grace. Peter, in that reference that I made in his epistle to the things that he had been an eyewitness to, says this. He comments that the Lord Jesus Christ received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. And that points us surely to the testimony given by the Father to the Son. The Father attested his honour and his glory. Forget Moses. Many professing Christians are so snared up in legal works, in in self-righteous morality, as requires this to be restated. Forget Moses. Many professors, many Christian church members are so caught up in their wild ideas about prophecy and and their their end-time speculations, as requires this to be restated. Forget prophecy. God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. This is our priority. It's not the preaching of Moses. It's not the preaching of the prophets. 
except to the extent that they are complementary and contributory to the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Because all of those who spoke and preached and brought forth revelation in the Old Testament times were speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and pointing us to him. The testimony of these men in the absence of the work of Christ is meaningless. Because it all spoke of Christ. Hear ye him. This is so important. We talk about a Christ-centered ministry. And what is that but placing Christ at the heart of all that we preach. And his gospel as the beginning and the end of our ministry. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Whenever I preach to you. I want you to see Christ. I want you to hear Christ. And if you don't, then I've messed up and I've failed in my job. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the beloved Son of God. And yet God emptied out upon him all the holy anger due to our offences. Moses had seen that prefigured in the sacrifices. The prophets, they saw that in the suffering servant as the lamb before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. But we see the Lord himself crucified and slain. We see the Lamb of God for the sins of the elect of God, crucified and slain. Isaiah, in verse 5 of his amazing chapter 53, says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. But note, note this, the Lord Jesus Christ is the beloved Son. The beloved Son in whom the Father is well pleased. And yet, here we witness the great mystery of godliness for our salvation. That the beloved Son should have the wrath of God against sin poured out upon him and into his very soul. This speaks to us about the immensity, the value of our salvation. Verse 10 of that same chapter of Isaiah 53 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, but it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There are three things spoken about here that please God. The Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, pleased God. 
in the covenant purpose the Lord Jesus Christ stood as substitute and surety and it pleased God that he did so. But it also pleased God to bruise him for the salvation of those for whom he died. That people that God had chosen, that people that God loved with a love that was everlasting, that people that he was pleased to place his mercy upon. And you know what those people are called in this verse uh, 10 of Isaiah 53? They are called the pleasure of the Lord. Because it is the pleasure of the Lord that prospered in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's us, it's you and me, brothers and sisters. When the Saviour suffered, as he died, we prospered in his hand. And here's the fourth thing that we see from the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. A new and inspiring view of our Saviour. This mountaintop experience is unique in the whole of the revelation of God. Never anything like this before or after. As unique and momentous as the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. As unique and momentous as the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. As unique and momentous as the empty tomb. And as the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into glory. Brothers and sisters, let us give place to each. Each gives us a different complementary view of our Saviour. When God spoke from the cloud, Peter, James and John fell upon their faces in the presence of glory at the voice of God. I wonder if you ever noticed what Peter says. He says, such a voice, such a a voice. The disciples trembled and collapsed on their faces on the ground at such a voice, the voice of God. And when we gain a glimpse of God's glory as it was viewed both in the voice and in the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a chastening and it is a humbling experience. And it's typical of what happens to a sinner under conviction of sin. What happened to Peter, James and John was that they fell on their faces to the ground. And when you're on the ground, all you can see is dirt and stones and weeds. And that's what a sinner sees in their own lives when they are brought under the glory of a glimpse of God. But then we are given another lovely little phrase because we are told that when the disciples got up off the ground they saw no man save Jesus only. 
No more Moses. No more Elias. Jesus only. And how blessed we are, brothers and sisters, if God causes us to see Jesus only. How did that transformation, that recovery of Peter, James and John from face down on the ground, looking at the dirt, looking at the weeds, how did that transition between them falling on their faces terrified and rising to behold Jesus only come about? Well, Matthew tells us in his account, in chapter 17, verse 7, he says this, And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And that's it. That's it. It's a touch from Jesus. It's when Jesus comes to the sinner and Jesus touches us. It's when Jesus speaks and tells us not to be afraid. When the Son of God, in whom God is well pleased, when the Son of God, to whom Moses gives place, when the Son of God, of whom all the prophets spoke, comes to us in the gospel, touches us in our hearts and in our souls with the word of truth, speaks to us and says, be not afraid. Then, brothers and sisters, we have no reason to be afraid. May we all who hear the voice that shakes us also hear the voice that lifts us up. The voice of love, the voice of Christ, and find peace in the knowledge of our sins forgiven, seeing Jesus only. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us.